in the entertainment business, right? My job is to make people have a great time. If we're not having a great time while we're doing it, how can we expect an audience to have a great time while they're seeing it? So that's my mission is I do everything I can to make sure it's a real positive experience because I do believe that out of people enjoying going to work and going to a rehearsal room and creating a piece of theater is work. If those experiences are filled with joy, then certainly the end result will be more joyful as well. When is the last time you felt real joy about your work? If you spend most of your time focused on driving results, but not on driving more joy, you probably have a joy gap. Welcome to Joy at Work. On this podcast, we'll think about how to build a culture that infuses more joy into everyday work life. I'm your host, Alex Liu, managing partner and chairman of AT Carney. Do you ever imagine what it would be like if you had chosen a life in the spotlight? What if bringing joy to the masses was what you did every day at work? Well, that's the reality for Ken Davenport. Ken is a Tony Award-winning Broadway and off-Broadway theater producer. He's produced over a dozen Broadway shows, including the 2018 Tony Award-winning Best Revival of a Musical, Once on This Island. He also worked on the first crowd-funded Broadway show, The Revival of Godspell, and many other award-winning and much-loved shows. He's a true Broadway entrepreneur. Ken and I will talk about the business of creating incredible shows, how he finds joy in that creative process, and how we can all think about our work in a more joyful way. We're really excited and pleasured to have Ken Davenport as our guest today. Ken is a Tony Award-winning Broadway and off-Broadway theater producer is, I would say, an entrepreneur in the theater and performing arts in a wide variety of ways. So looking forward to hearing your thoughts, Ken. I hear the background. You're, you're actually you're actually talking to us from with Broadway in the background. That's right. I'm just uh, actually, I can see from my window, well, in addition to that uh, giant fire engine coming down the street, I can see where the ball drops. Uh, we have quite a great New Year's Eve party here, so ever if you're in, if you're here on New Year's Eve, let me know because we can we can see a drop. That's how close we are to Broadway and Times Square. Yeah, actually, we have our New York offices actually right there at Seven Times Square, so we're right in the heart of the action next to the NYPD. Feel I feel very safe there. So Ken, I will be full disclosure. I'm I'm not a big theater buff. I've been to twenty or thirty plays, I think, over my lifetime. I love them. You know, I love the Cirque du Soleil as well. That that form of live performing arts. But as a as a producer, and for those of, of us who aren't really theater buffs, what does a producer actually do? So it's a great question. And actually, of all the blogs I've written over the last 10 years of being a Broadway blogger, that is one of the most popular. It was a 13-year-old girl who wrote in to me once and said, like, Ken, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm, I better ask this because for answer this, because first I was like, I actually not so sure. <laughs> so the first thing I did was poll a, a hundred of my peers and post this on a blog in one sentence. What does a Broadway producer do? And it, it is, is one of the, been the most popular. But look, the, the simple answer, because I get this a lot and I am actually not unlike you or any of the other business owners or entrepreneurs out there. So being a Broadway producer is like being a CEO of a business 
or actually more like being the founder of a startup, right? And it's the exact same thing. My product is just a little bit unique and it's not something that everyone runs into every day. You've only seen 20 or 30 Broadway shows. You've had how many bottles or cans of soda or how many, like you're gonna have thousands and thousands of interactions with that product. You're gonna have minimal interactions with Broadway. So a lot of people think it's some special, unique, thing that's created, you know, in some like Wizard of Oz type society. And it's not. I have to develop a product. That product is a show. It's a play or a musical. Sometimes I will option it from writers. It'll be brand new. Sometimes it'll be a show like Once on this Island that has been around for 20 years that I'm going to revive. And I have the product. I have to put together the management team. I have to put together, uh, if it were like a restaurant, a restaurant has a chef, I need a director or writers. It's really similar. I have to come up with an advertising campaign, a marketing campaign. I have to raise the capital. I have to find a place to sell the product, which is a theater. So as you can see, it's all the steps that any other entrepreneur would have to take. In fact, I, I call myself a serial startup guy because if I do three shows a year, it's three brand new startup companies, new capital, new product, new place to sell it. And that's what I do. The short answer that I've been using these days is what a Broadway producer does is get people in a room. Like all that I do, especially with how busy it is these days, all that I do is I try to get writers and directors and actors in a room so that they can create and collaborate. And then I try to get an audience in that same room to buy tickets to see what that crew has come up with. But it's also a tough business, right? I mean, you, you hear all the sort of high failure rates. There's obviously more demand for roles on Broadway and off-Broadway than supply. How do you manage that aspect of it? You obviously be very successful. You're, you know, you're clearly tough quartile in the profession that you've chosen. How do you manage that piece of this business? It's such a huge hit or hit or miss, I guess, is how I'd look at it. Maybe I'm Yeah, wrong. there's there's no question. I mean, I first of the thing I do is everyone talks about the quote unquote high failure rate or 80% of our shows don't work. The first thing I do is totally reverse that and in, in order for me to be able to get up every day and say 20% of shows work. Um, so I just think about it in terms of, yeah, it's a high risk industry. But actually, if you think about the success of startups in this industry, it's about 10% if you look at that history. So we're not doing so bad. And we are high risk, but at the same time, there's super high reward when you hit it. I often say that uh, producing shows is like drilling for oil. You have to drill a lot of holes until you get a gusher. But when you do get one, that gusher usually pays for all the other holes that you've drilled over the years. There is an added, of course, ROI to producing and creating art. And that's not only the enjoyment and the joy and the thrill that you're going to instill in potentially millions and millions and millions of people, but also you are helping to change the world. You know, there's a great quote from a Russian diplomat, ironically, who said that art changes a lot more minds than politicians ever will. And we, I'll, t I'll use an uh, example of one of the shows that I produced, uh, Kinky Boots, which won a Tony Award. And it's about this, actually a business person, a young business person inherits his father's shoe factory, which is failing. And he has to come up with the magic, just like you described. And in the show, he decides to niche his company down. This is something that probably uh, so many business owners have had to deal with over the last 10 years. And it's in a musical. Niche his company down and he's going to design shoes for drag queens. And he's going to develop that niche. And as you can imagine, 
they, there's a lot of challenges in doing that from societal pressure, the workers pressure, like all these things, right? So at the end of the show, I love to go see the last five minutes. And it's this big, energetic, joyful number featuring all these drag queens wearing these shoes and incredible costumes, etc. And I love to go watch the show at the end. And I take a look at the audience. And usually I can isolate about six or eight husbands from somewhere in the Midwest that were obviously dragged there. And they're on their feet, hooting and hollering and just so happy to be there. And I often think about if I had gone to them a week before and said, hey, next week you're going to be on your feet dancing and watching a bunch of drag queens on stage, they would have said, not in your life. And that's what the theater does. And those people will have their minds changed. And so that again, is in addition, it's why people invest in the theater. It's why people get involved because yes, you can make money, but you can also actually change the world. When I went to Mama Me, it was the same thing, right? Everyone jumps up and sings the songs that you remember. And you probably get the same reaction from watching a good movie, even though you, you know, in a big theater and the like, but you're tell, talking about examples where you've got a successful show, right? It's been there. It's got a formula of success and magic, the songs that are, it strikes me. And again, I'm just being a novice here. There's so much attention to detail and rehearsal along the way to get to the chance to be 20%. Is that also a happy experience that, that, you know, or, or is the reward basically the applause, you know, and everyone jumping up and down on tables, which is we all, we all strive for. What about the other 80% though? Is that not a joyful experience if you're not successful in having people jump out of their seats? It's different for every time you create a show and it depends on the people involved. Of course, just like, again, designing any product anywhere, we are dealing with theater people. We are dealing with artists. So often those artists can be a little bit more emotional than, say, a coder or an engineer that may be working on a new robot, right? So we have a very unique group of people that put our shows together. They are artists. They are theater makers. But every time a show is made, that collaborative process is different. Everyone is their own unique element, right? And there is a chemical reaction that occurs when you put all those elements together to create something new. And it's different. Look, very famously, Gypsy, this one of the best musicals ever written, was one of the worst creative process. Like, people hated each other on that show. Hated each other. Screaming and fighting. There's this famous story about the book writer writing in a jab at the director into the show that you can still see today. Like, it, it was awful. But it created one of the most significant musicals of the 20th century. So... It's always different. I try, of course, to make them, it's my job as a producer, to try to make it the most entertaining experience in the creation as possible because I, I, my quote is this, I'm in the entertainment business, right? My job is to make people have a great time. If we're not having a great time while we're doing it, how can we expect an audience to have a great time while they're seeing it? So that's, that's my mission is I do everything I can to make sure it's a real positive experience because I do believe that out of people enjoying going to work and going to a rehearsal room and creating a piece of theater is work. If those experiences are filled with joy, then certainly the end result will be more joyful as well. Yeah, I think some, some of the 
coders out there might take issue with the fact that they're not emotional. Some of them are like throwing things against the wall <laughs> as well. So um, it, not just artists are emotional, but I want to come back to your point, because does that mean then that the people that are in the in the profession, they obviously love performing and, and realizing themselves in the craft. If they're not a part of successful Broadway play and the ones that you win Tony's award, can they still be joyful just because it's just what they love to do? And is the success of being on a Tony award winning play just the extra icing on the cake. It's not just the accolades, I guess, is my point. Well, that's that comes down to every single person. And, and that's when I speak to people getting into the business or no matter what age, by the way, you know, people come to me and say, I want to be an actor. And I'm like, great. That's fantastic. Let me help you become an actor. But by the way, you didn't say I want to be a Broadway actor and you didn't say I want to be a star. Right. I recently read an article about Taylor Swift, who at a very young age said to her management team, I want to be the biggest star in the world. Like she went on a path to become the biggest star in the world. She didn't become go on a path to just be a singer songwriter. You can have joy. If you want to be an actor, you can be an actor. I can't guarantee that you'll be on Broadway because so much of Broadway and these smaller industries and major league baseball or whatever these, these areas are depend on things that are outside your control. But being an actor, look, you could do that in your backyard, in a community theater in your hometown and be filled with joy if the experience of just acting is what you want. So I, I say to people, you really have to think about what you want to do and where you want to do it. For me, I wanted to be working on Broadway. I wanted to be in the major leagues of the theater industry, but that's not for everybody. Now, this is a bit, maybe this is a dumb question from my side, but, you know, I like sports and what I like about it is it's, you know, it's real time and the results are unpredictable. You know, when you're filming a movie or a TV, you've got multiple takes, even a podcast like this, right? You can do some post-production editing. On a Broadway play, it's fully live. You're doing the same thing sometimes two, three times a day, same line, same people, same ensemble. Doesn't it get boring? Is there a different type of, you know, happiness, joy, discipline from that? I mean, can you explain that a bit? I've always scratched my head. How can that not be boring to do the great thing all over and over again, three times a day, seven times a week? First of all, the people that love it, love it, right? That's why they do it. Second, but you're absolutely right. There is a factory or assembly line process to performing a Broadway show night after night, especially if you're not a principal. Like I believe some of the hardest working people in the entertainment industry are the people that make up the ensembles or choruses of Broadway musicals. So they are one of 10, 15, 20. Sometimes their, their sole directive is make sure you look exactly like the person next to you when you do your dance moves. So don't be unique, right? Blend in, be a chorus and do it exactly the same way eight times a week, right? That's hard. It's one thing to say to a big star, do the same thing eight times a week. Well, they're active, they have solos, they have all these things. It's a little bit different. They're getting audience reactions, jokes, et cetera. So it's a little bit fresh and different, but for an ensemble member, that's very challenging. So it is hard for them. It is exceptionally hard. I think they have, they have, that's where they really have to work hard to remember, wow, how grateful am I to be on Broadway where so few people get a chance to do this and find their own ways to get through that, find their own ways to keep it fresh and make it real every single night. But there's no question it's a challenge. Then again, I will also say what separates us from all the other entertainment mediums out there, from film, from books, from all that stuff, right? We're live. So I am convinced that one of the reasons that a lot of people go to the theater 
is that we are like the NASCAR of entertainment. There is always the slightest chance that something may go wrong. And it's exciting. It's a little thrilling to watch that. They're right in front of you. What would happen? I'll never forget the first time I saw Broadway screw up. Someone dropped a line. Someone dropped a pro. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And, of course, I told like 20 people about it. It was like unbelievable word of mouth. In fact, I will tell you that in some of my shows, I've been known to insert a planned screw up. Something that the audience doesn't know. It looks like a screw up, but we've actually, quote unquote, scripted it because they feel like, oh, my God, I just saw something new and different and exciting. And now I'm going to tell all my friends that I was there at a very special performance. It's like an inside joke. A little that's bit. right. Well, that's interesting. But now, but to your first point, though, I mean, most of us are not stars. Most of us are not going to be singing the solo in the business environment or the workplace. We're going to be, you know, part of the crowd. We have a role and the like. How do the people that you talk about, the journeymen, the ensemble actors, how do they make sure they keep their game at the right pace, at the right level of professionalism every day? Is there any tricks that they do? Is it just sort of, hey, we're professionals. Let's not screw it up. Let's not let each other down. Or is it just, um, this is this is the way it is? This is the, you know, the great challenge. And I think it's the challenge for them. And it's a challenge for everyone who has a job that feels like, oh, I have to do the same thing every single day. I come in at 10, I check out at six. I come in at 10, I check out at six. I have this spreadsheet on Mondays, this word processing document on Tuesdays. That's hard. And I think, listen, it's, as simple as this, it's being grateful and finding the joy of what you do and loving what you do. And if you can't, get out. Like, get out. Find something that you will enjoy doing every single day. Like, I've said that there have been, as you can imagine, many, many, as in any industry, and I've worked with many of them, they, they get to a certain point. They're like, you know what? It's very hard for me to keep doing the same thing eight times a week. I've never made it as a star. I had dreams about being a big Broadway star. I'm now in my mid-40s. I can't be a dancing like chorus boy anymore. So what do I do? And if they're miserable, you know, the best advice they can you can tell them to do is get out and find something that you uh, enjoy doing. And that's what separates a lot of folks, I think, from certainly becoming bitter or getting depressed even. The most successful people that I know at that point in their careers, they transition. They don't necessarily leave the industry, although some do. Some go on to sell real estate. Some go on to do, I've had, I know performers that have become lawyers. I know all sorts of people. But the ones that I find the most interesting that say, hey, I've done this for 10, 20 years. I don't enjoy doing this eight times a week anymore as a performer, but I would love to choreograph or stage manage or direct. And they start to do something and create on their own. And the people that recognize that they may not belong for the day-to-day -day work and sort of start to make that transition early are some of the most successful people that we have in our industry that are directing and choreographing and producing today. Look, I was an actor. I mean, I started as an actor and I quickly realized that life wasn't going to be for me. So I made a choice when I recognized that to get out before actually it infected like my life and my heart and mind. The other aspect I wanted to zero in on a bit is the whole point of storytelling, right? I remember in college, we talked about the Greek tragedies and it's, just, it's the same story, the human failings, pride and all this. And then you see it woven in so many stories and the books by the Plato's of the world. And in my own business in dealing with executives and companies, the storytelling, the narrative is always the key. You know, you you know, your culture is wrong. You know, it's not for the 21st century. You're in the wrong business. You, you're about to get into a turnaround situation. You need to buy this company to succeed. So there's always a story which compels people to listen and get engaged. 
And that's all you do, right? And and we talked about it might be boring to tell the same story as a participant every day of the week, but you are in the storytelling business. How do you source and develop those best stories for the future and keep fresh on that? Well, I'm always looking for new stories, but you're, you're right. The audiences especially tend to follow a very structured story, whether they know it or not. I mean, this is Joseph Campbell and hero theory. It's the monomyth. It's stuff that's existed for thousands and thousands of years. It's why everything from Rocky and Star Wars can literally be plotted out beat by beat, and you can see the same story points in all of them. And also, they usually involve these reluctant or underdog heroes. So I'm constantly looking for uh, that type of story or someone who I believe when an audience sits down to see a show, they look for themselves on stage. They look for themselves in the film or in the book. And usually the, the best or I should say the most universally successful shows or movies or books, they can see themselves in the hero. But what separates the hero in the show or piece of entertainment from the person in the audience is the person in the show usually develops, has, or has some kind of superpower that allows them to achieve something great. And I believe every single person in the world would love to achieve something great, given the opportunity. So when they watch Luke Skywalker, they think, oh, he's just an everyday guy. Like, look, he's just a farmer. I'm a farmer. I'm an accountant. I'm whatever. Oh my gosh. But in the right opportunity, look what he has done. And I'll give you another example because it involves the business world and a musical I'm developing right now. It's based on the life of Joy Mangano. Do you know who Joy Mangano is? No. no. Joy Mangano was the subject of the movie Joy, starred Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, And I call her the QVC queen, right? She developed, she invented the miracle mop. The velvet hangers, the huggable hangers, the mini, like all those things. So this is an incredible story of a single mother of two. How many people, and specifically in the theater, this is what we cater to, women 44 years and older, right? So that's our prime demographic. So they're going to see a single mother of two who's doing laundry, who's getting her kids to work, doing all that stuff, but somehow is able to access this superpower of coming up with this idea. And then here's what separates people, successful people from non-successful people, in my opinion. She actions it. She not only has the idea, when I do speeches to large groups and these kinds of things, this is the biggest point. Ideas are cheap, they're cheap, and they're actually worth nothing. It's why they can't be copyrighted, because they're not worth a dime. What's worth billions of dollars is when someone actions the idea. And that's what Joy Mangano did, and that was her superpower. And she like triumph over adversity and succeeds and is the type of success that I think a lot of my audience will want to be. So, And that's actually a very typical story. I mean, that's Rocky, right? It's a very similar thing. So I look for stories that can follow in that mold. I look for stories actually that inspire, that do bring joy. The theater is different than film. The musical theater especially was invented to make people forget about what was going on in their day. That's that's what it was about. And I believe that actually you have to leave every show with a ray of sunshine. It's why at the end of Romeo and Juliet, the play, both Romeo and Juliet are dead. And it's why at the end of West Side Story, the musical based on Romeo and Juliet, only Romeo or Tony is dead and Maria is alive saying, can't we all just get along? So how do you reconcile that? Because I see your point that, you know, people are attracted to sympathetic heroes, the greatness within us, inspiration, happy endings, but those are unhappy. I mean, it's not like leaving Las Vegas unhappy, but because there's a bigger message, that's why it resonates, you know, sort of uh, 
global harmony. Which are unhappy. Well, you know, you, you use the West Side Story and the, you know, the um, Romeo and Juliet. The, the, well, the Romeo and Juliet is a death. play, so allows it to be a little bit more dramatic. But even, even Shakespeare's final few lines say something about the future. But West Side Story, the whole point is Maria says, in other words, can't we all get along? And actually the final image in West Side Story is the Jets carrying out Tony and all of a sudden a shark goes to help them carry out the body. So there's this, even the slightest ray of sunshine that everything is going to get better. I believe that's essential in what I do. And I think that's what most people want to see. It may not be exactly how we imagined it ending, but there's always has to be some ray of sunshine. It may not be boy meets girl, they get married and everything's great, but it has to be some bit of joy, some bit of, oh my gosh, I can leave this theater now thinking the world is going to be a better place. And I just actually love thinking of that in my own personal life, which is why I like stories that have the same message. Now, there are other Ken Davenports in the world. I'm just curious about the level of competition or collaboration in the business. Now, I'm, I'm here in, in L.A. right now. It is, you know, it's a, that's a different industry, but it's the same kind of dynamic. Do you go to watch everyone else's plays? Do you guys have and gals have sort of shop talk sessions? Do you talk about the industry in a less, in a more neutral environment? How do you collaborate with the other, you know, stars of your profession and producers of your profession? It's a very good question because the theater industry is much smaller than Hollywood. And that is partly because of our distribution process. There are only 41 Broadway theaters. That's it. And actually 20 something of those are locked up. So Lion King isn't going anywhere. Phantom of the Opera isn't going anywhere. Wicked isn't going anywhere. Hamilton isn't going. So slowly but surely there aren't many left, right? So I am in competition with all my other producers to get one of those buildings. Because if I can't get a building, I can't produce a show. Can't produce a show, can he? Right? So that's where the most competition actually comes these days. That said, I always say the Broadway industry is like any family around Thanksgiving dinner. We actually love each other. We support each other because we know how hard it is to get one of these suckers on. Like when I won the Tony Award for Once on this Island, like one of the first emails I got congratulating me was someone who I was in quote unquote competition with. Like that's what the industry is about. Like you did it. Like amazing. Good for you. At the same time, just like Thanksgiving, when the dinner breaks up and people go in the other rooms, like, can you believe what Uncle Arnold just said? Like, that's the most ridiculous thing ever. That turkey was dry. Like, of course, there's all that because we're all artists and we all have opinions and we all want success in the high-risk industry. But because it's so challenging and so hard, it tends to bond us together. One last question for you, Ken, just on the personal side, because, you know, we've been talking about how you can uplift joy in, in the audiences that you, you serve and the, and the ensembles that you work with. How do you get your own personal energy and satisfaction day to day outside of this business that you that you live and love? Well, I have a 15 month old daughter, so that certainly helps because that's a big change in my life. And I was like, waited a little bit to have one. But boy, there's nothing like going home after a long day and putting a key in a door. And before the door is even open, hearing daddy, daddy, daddy. So, oh, that's great. Uh, that's great. That's pretty amazing. And obviously puts it all in check. I have one other thing I do. I mentioned it already. I play golf and I play golf like some people go to the gym or do anything else. So I hit golf balls every single day to take my mind off things and to put my very focused energy into something else that doesn't have anything to do with business. Nothing. 
So I spend 45 minutes to an hour just whacking balls into a screen here in New York City. So that's part of it. And then it's meditation, it's gratitude, it's all those things that we're hearing a lot about today that I adopted into my lifestyle and my business about four or five years ago. And just this general feeling, which is so different than when I was in my 20s, as I mentioned, of I'm trying to make people stand up on their feet and cheer for a story that's on a stage. And if I can't enjoy the process of creating that thing, I don't know how I can ever expect them to do the same thing. So that's what I try to inject in every aspect of the creative process, the sourcing ideas, the raising money. I try to make raising money fun. Every time I get a big investment, I play a Miley Cyrus song, Party in the USA, and it, yeah, I get up off my feet and I dance around my my office. Uh, I can't believe I just admitted <laughs> that, but I did, especially since that song is like from 10 years ago. But that's what I do to try to shake it out of the grind of raising money and just to bring joy. We do retreats with my staff and all sorts of fun things just to remind us what it's all about. Life is short. If you're not having fun in the process, you're actually not going to be successful in your mind, in your heart, and in your bank account as well. I'm with you. That's great. Thanks a lot. That's perfect. Uh, Ken, thanks a lot for the time and for you know lifting the, the curtain behind the curtain. This has been, been really great. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Ken Davenport for joining us. I think I'm going to have to try that Miley Cyrus secret myself. And we'd love to hear how you bring a little sunshine to your workday. Share on social media with the hashtag joy at work. If you have ideas for future topics or guests, please email us at joy at atcarney.com. This podcast is produced by AT Carney, a global management consulting firm. We find joy in helping our clients tackle their biggest challenges. Learn more at atcarney.com slash joy at work.